about to be December, Emily, just so you know. That is terrifying. In between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Welcome. We're dropping you into this introduction by telling you where we are in the year. In case you haven't looked at a calendar today. In case you haven't looked at a calendar Tomorrow today. is December 1st. Tomorrow is December 1st. Um, means we're, oh God, nobody kill me, six-ish months until season 12 of the festival. You're fired. Okay, great. Um, the reason I bring it up is I have to say, and maybe people are interested in this before we go into our panel, which is a release from season 11, is that we have been work. we, some people don't know this, we work year-round on this festival. We are a year-round company now with ATX TV and our memberships and our year-round events. For those following along this fall, we've had conversation with Armando Iannucci with Avenue 5. We've done a Tulsa King screening with Paramount Plus. We are doing lots of things year-round, both virtually and in person here in Austin. We've got partners at Still Austin, this is a little commercial for a second. You're doing a great Mainly job. Mainly because if you're a member in Austin or just somebody who lives in Austin, be sure to follow us because we often have like happy hours. We go to boxed clubhouse and drink wine and talk about television. It's all very exciting. And we do lots of things year round with programming and our partners. But something that people don't always realize is that we actually plan the festival year round. We kind of take... July-ish to recenter ourselves and try to catch our breath, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. And then starting in August, we put together decks for partners to understand like what what we're doing, sponsorship opportunities. We start talking to both like networks and studios as well as reunions, which we totally lift from the ground up and bring into existence. And I'm very proud of our team because – this year, after two years virtual and then back in person and all the things that we talk about ad nauseum, we have been very on top of it this year. Sometimes it's like January and we're like, what are we doing? We've announced nothing. But we're going into December. We've launched two websites. We I have. Well, we I know, have. which is crazy to think um, about. So people should check out atxfestival.com and I believe atxtv.co but I'm sure we can figure that out because I'm still learning both of our websites. Tickets are on sale. Uh, programming is being announced. Like, we're ahead of things. Pitch competitions Pitch competitions are open. Are open. Yeah, things happened at the beginning of November. We've got partners. Rooster Teeth is working with us on the pitch competition. We are, I mean, I feel like we're a little off to the races, and I know how much there is left to do. Like, you have been having staffing conversations with Laura and, like, getting our seasonal staff lined up for things and really like we've signed venue agreements at the Driscoll guys. The dates are June 1st through 4th. Go buy your ticket, go check out. Look, there's a little bit of programming announced. You all know there's a lot more coming, but like I feel good going into the holidays. <laughs> you just really pumped yourself up. I in really a way that did. I really enjoy. I there was really a moment did. that when you said six months, there was like a little bit of panic. I know. In your eye, and now there's a little bit of glistening in your eye of, we got this. We could do the festival tomorrow. No, just kidding, no, we could not. no, no, no. The glisten is because we have time. And I always feel good about enjoying the Christmas break, which we kind of take, but enjoying it and coming back, you know, as soon as you see 2023 on the calendar, there is a bit of a panic. But Compared to some of the other timelines, I just feel like we met a lot of our goals. High five. 
and I quit now. You said I was fired, but I quit. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Anyway, I'm very excited. As we release panels, Jen and I have been having lots of programming conversations. Obviously, you work all those. Maybe it's not obviously. You work on reunions and past mm-hmm. programming first because current and premiere can be hard to get commitments for too early. But you work on panelists and reunions, and we've been doing that. We have an awardee, James Burroughs, the incomparable amazing James Burroughs, co-creator of Cheers. Didn't know that until I read his book. Just, I just feel really good about things. I love it. I love it. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Tomorrow. (laughs) Yes. Tell me Merry Christmas tomorrow. I need it to be December. Although I am eating all of the candy in the Christmas tree, Reese's peanut butter. Well, duh. Shaped Christmas trees. That is the time that we are in. We've moved past Halloween and Thanksgiving into the Christmas candy. Yes. Um, But today... Well, do you have any thoughts on where we are in time and space with the festival? Are you excited? Do you have a glisten in your eye? I can't see it through the glasses. <laughs> oh. um, my, This is my favorite time of year. Great. Between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Because I just feel like there's just a little bit of magic in the air. Things are colder and Christmas lights are up. And I deeply, deeply love Christmas lights. I deeply love cheesy holiday movies. I thought you were going to say cheesy, like a food item. Why? Well, yeah, sure. Love anything with cheese on it as well. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have a cheesy holiday party night with, where I watch cheesy, cheesy movies <laughs> and... Uh, Baked brie? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sure. all the different options. I mean, for that, you can have pizza, you can have... Queso. Cheese plates. You cheese can have... balls. Queso. I mean, there's just so many options. Uh, cheese, cheese cake. <laughs> Oh, you went a different. I know, direction. I know, guys. So many options, but I really like this idea. So and stay tuned. Take do your blood work for your cholesterol the day before this night. Oh, you need to factor <laughs> that in. Um. <laughs> anyway, I love this time period, and uh, I'm just gonna enjoy it to the fullest. Great. Well, speaking of time periods, the title. Good segue. <laughs> Thank you. The title of this today's panel release is. One story, multiple time lines, and it has Maggie Cohn, who is the co-showrunner and writer of The Staircase, and Patrick Somerville, who's the creator showrunner of Station Eleven. If you haven't watched these shows, what's wrong with you? No offense, but they're both great. And the thing about The Staircase is I was like, the documentary I actually did not care one way or the other about, but in turning it into a scripted show and multiple options for maybe what happened Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um in terms of for those that don't know documentary about a woman dying on a staircase and does she die by accident is it her husband is it an owl we don't know we don't know yes i I said owl um but the multiple timelines were like multiple kind of options for how this went down i thought was brilliant and station 11 is very much like two very different, like pre and post yep. pandemic kind of. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's very exciting to that have both of these showrunners and these shows represented on this panel. It's a micro panel, so it's just two of them, moderated by one of your favorite people, Ben Travers. Yeah. We just adore him. This is one of my favorite people too. But Emily gets like all lit I up do with just happiness. Yep. Um, um, yes, I do think just taking a short minute to talk about the fact that there are so many great shows that would fit in this topic. Sure. I mean, you have Yellow Jackets, Westworld, 
And then if you're even going back some, you have Lost, Outlander, which I believe is still on now. Yes. Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, There was a show that I had forgotten about because I only watched the first season of called Dark. Did you ever watch the show? I didn't, but I know you did. It was so good. And then it took forever for the second season to come out. And I haven't watched it yet. There may even be a third season now. Um, But subtitles. Yes, it does. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because the first season is so confusing that I felt the need to go back and rewatch it before watching season two. And we all know how slowly I watch things that that just hasn't happened yet. Um, But every time I think about it, I'm like, Oh, I just deeply, deeply loved that show. It's also a little scary, which is also not something that I'm usually drawn to. It's true. Uh, But then you have, this is us. This is us is one that's interesting. You don't think about it as a timeline show, but it it very much is, but you just don't think about it. Um, Lost. Well, and then, yeah, I mean, that's like the. Don't say it's the first one ever. No, no. <laughs> no. I feel like that's the. I want to say something that's bigger than like most famous, but it's a the biggest zeitgeist one. Sure. I mean, the one that people definitely cared the most about, had the most opinions on. Yeah, yeah. Theories around all of those sorts of things. It seems like, I mean, I'm sure they get into this, but like. As a creator, showrunner of it, like keeping track of them and being able to the timelines and making sure that certain things don't get referenced incorrectly or too soon or too late or whatever in in juggling that. I would say that as somebody who's not a writer and not planning to write a television show, I that would not be the thing I would get very overwhelmed by the keeping track of the timelines. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Because then I thought about three different shows that mess with timelines but in ways that are not this like past and present which is awake which was a show Kyle Killen Kyle Killen where it was basically literally two different I guess it's more of the staircase honestly but it's alternate alternate yeah universes. alternate timelines yeah, yeah. yeah one thing's happening and then something else and they do not connect at all then you have paper girls which is more of a time travel show R.I.P. Such a great show. You should still go watch season one. And then Severance. Which, which is a little bit like the awake thing. Like, yeah. I mean, are you awake or not? Yeah. yeah. Which I just think that there's so much fun that can be played with. And that I don't want to be in charge of. That, no. Because it would no. Be really How do you keep track? No idea. Kudos. But I mean, there. I feel like there's many, many, many conversations and panels that could spawn off of this one. But I'm excited for you and Jenna program. Great. Because this was a micro panel. We can. We can do, we do things again. Different people make a whole different conversation. Exactly. Could um, be the exact same topic, but put different people on it. Hold it. Who knows what Who happens. knows? Who knows? Programming festivals, guys. It's fun. Six I, months. You got plenty of time. so much time. With that, enjoy Maggie, Patrick, and Ben talking about timelines. Um, all right. First and foremost, as we alluded to, what is time? Uh, I know you guys have answers. And I know you want to tell us what you think, but um, let's start with Maggie. Uh, honestly, the staircase is so intricate in terms of like how it's executed, the story it's telling, the points that it's making. Like, there's so much that goes into this story, uh, but it is a true story. So you could have told this straight through. You could have gone chronologically. You didn't have to break it up into timelines. How did that kind of decision come? To bear like how did you end up being like you know what the best way to do this is to include three separate sections and move between them well i think um 
the assumption that it's an adaptation is kind of, it was, wasn't how we approached it fundamentally from the beginning. Since we were actually really wanting to make a television show about the idea of like, what is storytelling? What is story? How do you tell a story? We thought it would be important to include what people bring to stories that they hear. And so in order to do that, it felt important to show their past, how it influenced the present, and then what their expectation for the future was. And with that, we found our three timelines, which was the past, the present, and the future. That sounds complicated, but actually when it comes down to it, it's about kind of creating rules for yourself about what happens in each timeline. And then whenever you come to an impasse or you feel like you get confused, you come back to what that rule might be and then you, you know, keep moving forward. Is there an example of a rule that you could Yeah, give? so each of our timelines, um, once it's started, you could never move back words in the context of that timeline. So they each had to keep moving forward. And that fundamentally what was happening was that our past timeline, which brings us through the eight episodes, ends where our present timeline begins. So there actually is no beginning or ending to the, to the series. So there you go. <laughs> Everything you just said feels really, really close to what we did yeah. as well. And, and I think there's probably some truth about about it, about storytelling in there, but we d we also had a now, a before, and an after. Uh, we didn't quite have the same rules. Um, sure. We yeah. we we went backwards from, from like, two thousand, I guess, I guess in episode three with Miranda, we never we never went backwards, but it was possible to go backwards in our timelines, and um, like the last thing you said, what we caught up to our own timeline, uh, sort of. I mean, there's still a large gap in Kirsten's life, but um, we were aiming for a circle, I guess, in, in some strange way, and it, it is a little bit. We were also shooting out of order, which didn't help, um, or, or maybe it did help, actually, in, in some ways. We shot episode seven first when we got to Canada. So we, we kind of had things to aim for, strangely. Does it help you to look at it that way in terms of uh, kind of breaking the episodes, like to look at it as a circle, to look at it as kind of a full picture of, of the story and then try to figure out how those parts might, you know, uh, work well together and within an episode? Like how do you kind of move from uh, the stage of, okay, we know we want to do this to actually doing it? I think um, it, for us when we were playing with the timelines, it really, um, it was less, initially, it was less episodic and more comprehensive and holistic. So the arcs, mm -hmm. really, we broke those, we broke the entire arc and then tried to figure out exactly in where those should go in each episode. And so it almost maybe encouraged us to work backwards a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, but yeah, I think it was like, we also, I don't know, I was writing during, uh, over Zoom. Oh. I don't know if you were, so our, <laughs> like, our boards were like my office. It was just like 360 degrees. And like, literally, it's like not sexy at all, but it was like the timelines had different colored post, like post, not post-its, hmm. but you know, index cards. You were more organized than we were. <laughs> I mean, because I think I went fucking crazy. <laughs> I and I was, was like, I, really I was like in my office and people were like, it's like a murder board in there. And I'm like, <laughs> you make fun of me now, but on set, when you have no yeah. idea where we are, I will know exactly where we are. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, no, so it's what like, did your office look well, like? Well, <laughs> our writer's room, our writer's room finished before the pandemic. Oh, okay. And so yeah. I, it was just me um, <laughs> at, going crazy uh, yeah. silently yeah. with my family, and they didn't understand how or why. But we ended up in the same position with the actors too, because right. we were cross-boarded, and yeah. you, you essentially just had to contextualize the causality of the story for the actors who um, were busy being the characters that they were and couldn't, they couldn't go up into the macro, look at the whole thing, point of view, which I don't, I don't know if you had this experience, but it, it was sometimes as though I was um, just speaking a different language than, than people on sets. Yeah. And, I, and I had to stop yeah. sort of, or on my walk to set, if I was going to go answer a specific question about a scene, I had to remind myself don't do that thing, Patrick, yeah. <laughs> uh, where you start like uh, talking, um, I don't know, about, about in a thematic way or yeah, in a yeah. writer oh, way yeah. instead of in the why am I walking across the room way for, that's right. helpful to the actors. And it took a second to realize that, that um, I was not being helpful uh, <laughs> by, by providing the overhead view of the situation. But did you need, so like you had, the, you had your room where you had it decked out 360 and like again, I think it's so imperative that you understand the timelines and you understand how the story is connecting so that you can talk to other people about it. So like when you're in that zone, like when you're trying to, you know, talk to other people about your vision, what was it that helped you stay on top of it, on, on, like on top of both where they were individually and, you know, how the things were going to, how the pieces were going to connect? Uh, I, don't, I mean, intuition sometimes or instinct sometimes. And then, you know, what really helped is as we completed episodes, um, the total amount of question marks out there was going down, mm. and the total amount of like stability in different timelines was going up, and so the whole production moving forward was sort of uh, an increasing amount of clarity for everyone from from day one to day one hundred and thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah. a lot of days. Yeah. Well, I had a partner, Antonio Campos, who was the director and the creator, and so it was really. So at a minimum, I had a shorthand with him. And so that was great. But also, I think more so for me than other shows, communicating with department heads mm. about where we were in the time. Because the house is one of our largest sets. And we built the house. And it was Tuesday. We just built a house. And um, because we were seeing it in the past and in the present, you would have to switch out certain pieces of furniture, which to me is just so intuitive, like I got it, I got it, but like you'd have to tell people, you'd have to continually remind them, I'm like, this is three years in the future. Those should not be and, there. Exactly, yeah. like this is a different couch, like this is something here, like this is the holiday. And um, that's your job. And you kind of forget that you, you've been living with this thing for over two years and you know, they're, living with it for a shorter amount of time period and when a project is ambitious, the pace of it, you have to be the person that can just put your finger and like tell them exactly what's happening and be literal about it. And as a, Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, in episode seven of Station Eleven, if people have seen it, it's, it was where we started, but it's a bottle episode. It's just in an apartment. And you know, at first, I was like, okay, this will be a good way to start through prep, and um, we'll, slow, we'll ease into the shoot. And then I, I realized, or we all kind of realized, there's four timelines in the episode oh, inside the apartment. So what, what we, uh, there were actually five, and we had to make a grid in prep of the five 
um, chapters of that time and have kind of columns to indicate what's going on with set deck, what's going on with the furniture. Yeah. Has that window broken yet? Is the frost here yeah. yet? What's the, what, what time is it getting dark in this timeline? And so we kind of had this gigantic spreadsheet. Um, Who made that? The, the spreadsheet? Yeah. Our first AD. Oh, wow. Yeah, and she was sort of, she was amazing and, and on it. But it was not an easy start, but it was a start that was very representative of yeah. what the rest of the shoot was going to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess with that in mind, and, and this, goes, this goes back a little bit to, to the writing process, but how conscious do you, do you, did you, like how much pressure, I guess, did you put on yourself to balance the timelines? Like how did you just determine like kind of, okay, we're gonna give each episode this amount or we're gonna have the confidence in the episodic structure that, you know, we can do a standalone episode that's basically, you know, just this story or just in this, you know, kind of chronological thing. Like obviously with Station Eleven, the pilot is mostly chronological. It's like it doesn't really jump mm -hmm. ahead until the very end. Was it, were, did you ever question that? Did you ever worry like we need to bring this in sooner? We need to kind of show what we're oh, gonna be doing? No, no, I think that first episode I mean, it starts 20 years in the future and goes backwards, you know, 20 years within the first minute and then goes to space and <laughs> forward 20 years at the end. And I think the, and has these flickers of, of 20 years in the future in the middle. And I think that was just sort of by design. Every episode, we had something in our scripts we called time drifts, which uh, there's no reason for the word other than we needed a word to um, represent transitions that were a little bit more thematically important and then designed than, than a normal transition. And one of the ideas of the show early on was that every episode would have its own version of those. And so I think the balance idea changed from episode to episode depending on the director. I tried to um, open the dialogue about what those would be episode to episode to the individual director. Um, but they all have their own kind of internal balance. And I think that it just depended depended what story we were telling. The timelines had their balance, or the episodes the ep had their balance. Well, well, both. Both, but I would say that I was I meant the episodes. Yeah. But in terms of the timeline, I think we just I didn't think about it like weight, which has percentage wise the right amount. It was more like which when was the emotional story complete in that one? Uh, like when did we get the thing we needed to get out of it, basically, for the audience, and, and that was what would make the difference in whether or not we kept going. That's great, yeah. I think we approached it, we wanted, our goal was that if you um, remove dates from the scripts, that despite some obvious continuity errors, that the art, it would play as though it was just an episode of TV. Mm -hmm. And so we, I don't, I don't time, but we, like energy was important, mm -hmm. and that it really was what, what, what timeline, you know, moved forward, it was less almost about plot and more mm -hmm. about what the theme was and what we were trying to accomplish with the episode. And then what were the scenarios that you'd organically find in the timelines that best communicated that. Obviously, because it was a real life, it's, it, there were certain things that we needed to um, augment or you know, make sure that we highlighted. But that was, it, it was the goal that it never felt like a flashback or a flash forward. Mm -hmm that you could just have this energy and it almost felt like all the characters were, these things were manifesting all concurrently and not necessarily in different places and different times. I feel like we had the same experience <laughs> in the pandemic, right, right. losing our minds and yeah. <laughs> figuring out how to do it. Well, with, with the staircase, I did want to ask, 
One of the things that was so striking about it is that the, the pre-death timeline where Kathleen is still alive mm -hmm. and she's going about her life and we're learning kind of more about who she is and what she's dealing with and um, how did you, how did you, when you're writing that part of it, are you, I mean, and again, like it is a true story, like there is truth in there, are you writing that because you are recognizing that chunks of this can match up with the other timelines, like can tell that story and fit with those episodes? Are you, did you just write it all out and have that all ready and then like later on went back? Like how do you kind of No, I mean it was like them? an episode, it was just, we knew where we needed to begin and end each timeline. Um, and we knew that by the episode eight, we wanted it that in each, each timeline, we were in 24 hours of that timeline or with under 24 hours. So we're kind of honing in that you were going to see less and less time pass in each episode until we get to 24 hours. But with Kathleen Peterson, it really, this is truly, I mean, one of the, the, the our thesis statement of the show is that there is no singular truth. And so it, we really did not feel beholden to facts as we know them to be, because to present that would be antithetical to what we were trying to do. And so with her, it, it, she was a, a character and it was taking what we did know of her and then like, like I do with my more fictional characters, it's imbuing parts of myself, parts of the other writers, the actors, the director, the cinematographer, everyone's bringing something to creating that character. Um, and I think perhaps because she is somebody that is present in a real life event, but so little is known about her, she was kind of the North Star for showing, like, this is what we're doing, it, mm -hmm. is, a, it is fiction. But by extension, since we never truly know anyone, we all are a bit fictional. Right, so. right, right. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a, a new way to look at it. And to yeah. kind of continue down that path, I mean, is there anything when you're, when you're just approaching stories in general, when you're, when you're looking at something and saying that there, there could be a way to tell this with multiple timelines, like is, is there just something that makes it friendly, like that makes that format better or more appropriate to, to try to encapture like the, the, the ideas that you're trying to say? Um, I guess like it's just a very broad way of saying like why does this work? Yeah. Like, why does this work as I, well as it does? What my, is time? I mean, my, what is time? My thought on that is that it's, it's actually maybe the, the if you are not telling a story in linear order, you that's when you owe the why. You know, the second that you're not just telling the story linearly, I think because the answer needs to be like that. There's no other way to properly tell this story. Um, without moving around in timelines. And I think if you get, if you get to it for that reason, um, you're just in the right sort of story mode that you need to be in. For Station Eleven, it's, it's very much about um, how we carry the past with us um, and how we're haunted by ghosts that are, that are memories and how you need to actually, I don't know, process them and acknowledge them and admit that they're there in order to have uh, a presence that's okay or a future that's okay. And so we really wanted to bring the audience in with a very small story about, about Jeevan and Kirsten knowing each other, these two strangers, and, and caring about them, and then slowly accumulate their futures. Um, you know, so it, once Mackenzie's remembering things that happened to her, we're 
emotionally invested in, in her just like getting there, you know, and, and having a breakthrough. And there's a mystery too, like what happens in Frank's apartment. So it just felt like to tell a story about um, people who were trying to pretend there wasn't a past, we needed, we needed to be able to bounce back and forth um, very quickly um, to contradict maybe some of their thesis statements. No, that makes perfect sense. Maggie, yeah, no, I agree. Like the, the, the need for an answer is when you decide to do something differently. Um, and I think it was kind of goes back to what I was saying before, which is that whenever we perceive anything, whether it's a story or even this room, we're perceiving it with our backstory, what we're bringing to it, and then also what we hope it will become. And that's something we just wanted to explore within the show, which again is the past, the present, and the future. Um, because it, it is very much a story about perspective um, and how people can look at the same object and have it mean different things. Um, and so that's why the story was told in that fashion. But what I found um, very fulfilling was the ability then to ask questions in a future timeline that actually actually would be answered in the past but in later in the season mm. and so you got to create this really interesting form of tension that probably wouldn't have been as readily available if it was linear reverse mystery yeah exactly <laughs> so it's just like this really fun thing that like inadvertently you're like oh yeah. this is great so it, it it it's like hidden things like not or maybe not so hidden but like that, that makes it fun. Can you, can you tell how well practiced we are at answering the HBO Max executives? Yeah, like, exactly. Why the hell are you doing this? <laughs> I mean, reverse I mystery. Up, I, I just went into going, being as confusing as possible, but maybe using bigger words, and like they're like, I think she's got a hole on yeah. it, and then just. They had to go from a Zoom with me to a Zoom with you exactly. on the same day. We didn't even realize it. Uh, I guess we're just gonna go with this timeline thing. Seems to be popular. They have Let's like just a thing run with it. Einstein. They're like, okay, we need to. Yes. They're gonna have a Zoom on Einstein. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, I want to make sure we have time for some audience questions. So the last thing that I'm gonna ask you guys is just kind of in general. To me, it feels like, and I know obviously there's great film examples of, of different timelines being worked in to tell a story, but it does feel like TV kind of allows for this in a way that maybe film doesn't, like the episodic structure that we talked about a little bit before. But is that something that you feel like, do you, do you kind of expect to see more of this in TV because it's been so successful you so far? just need room, like, you know, yeah. because you need, yeah. like episode five in Station Eleven is Clark's episode at the airport, but it's the past of Tyler. But you just, you need enough space to actually tell a story about Clark and care to, to justify, you know, all the shenanigans, I think. Otherwise, it would, it would be annoying, I think. Um, Certainly yeah. in the context of one film. If you were able to create, like, which they've done, but if you did it with the concept before you started, but like three, and then you kind of actually, it's like just basically like television. Nine hours of content, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a little long. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, that was great. Let's get to you guys. Uh, sir, you're very excited. Let's hear what you got. What do you um, can you speak to the handling of multiple timelines in the staircase when it comes to dealing with a character with identity issues? Mm -hmm. Because you see um, Martha, a lot of different Marthas. Right. How did you track up all that and how she's, how did Odessa handle that, being so many different versions of her throughout the timelines? Well, I mean, I would argue that there was one version and it was a woman trying to find what that was, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, it, it was 
difficult as it was with all our actors to kind of place them in the context of where their character was and why they would be feeling what they're feeling then. Um, her secret was more about her, her, how she identified, and, but all of our characters had secrets. And so we just, we used the same sort of sensitivity, which is just harboring something that you wish you didn't have to hold inside. And then at some point, because so much time has passed, she's gone to a place where she feels safe to be who she is. Um, but we did do like a lot of research into trauma and grief, and the body holds the score, and so it's just it or keeps the score. And it's um, it was just we, we use that with Odessa, and um, she's just an incredible. She was. I'm impressed by that. All right, great question. Uh, who, yeah, sir, go ahead. Um, <clears throat> Patrick had said earlier today that they had shot out of sequence and how that affected things along the way with the multiple storylines. Did it affect your sequence and shooting? Did you have your writing done before you started shooting? Um, we, we did block shoot and cross board, so we shot the first four episodes um, and then we shot two and two. Um, so it, it was difficult, made more difficult, but also at the same time easier because if you're trans if you're doing makeup for 2017 versus 2003, it's you need time to do that. So if you can do all of it on one day and just so it's kind of two things at once. Um, and I don't know what the second question was. I already Were your scripts done? Oh yeah, no. Oh no, the writing was not done. I think he's lying. The room was wrapped, so the writing wasn't done. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was the. I case. was alone. <laughs> but yes, it, it yes. is an advantage sometimes when the writing's not done, even though yeah. that's sort of a dangerous game to be playing in a lot of ways. But it gives you time. There's nothing, you can never get back the first time you present the scripts to the actors or the network or the producers and everyone else. And so pausing that sometimes gave me time to kind of catch up to what, what I thought the show needed to do. So we didn't have to kind of take everyone down one path and then back out of it, which we did often, but try not to do that. <laughs> and it's a bit, I mean, the story was done. And I would imagine your story, like to some extent. To some extent, yeah. You have, you know, well, we knew exactly where we were going. How and to get there was the correct. And the but thing it is us. a bit. It's a bit to think that the writing's done when you're making a television show, especially like. You don't know what the location's going to be. You don't know what the extras are going to be available to you. So it change. It's changing every day. Even if this, all the scripts are done, you're still rewriting the constantly just to address the actual like, the. the like the facts on the ground, like these are these are things that are happening, and you're going to have to change something because you can't have it the way that you wanted it to be. That's great, great question so far. Yeah, absolutely. I have a twisted follow-up to that. Um, I, Station Eleven was amazing. I'm kind of interested in watching it in the order in which it was shot, and I wondered after Episode Seven, which I know is the first one, if you remember what episodes. You want the order? I'll yeah, tell you the order. Yeah, like. Do you have your pencil? <laughs> It's, we went one, three, seven, nine, eight, ten, six, four, two. Oh, I missed five. It comes after nine. Sorry. That's David, our editor, David Eisenberg. <laughs> Traumatized. 
I was going to say that your mind is like a steel trap, yeah. and then you made a mistake. I'm not so. <laughs> Sorry. All right, I think we have time for one more. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, is this something you want to keep doing? Do you want to keep playing with time and doing stuff over at the time? Or is this, uh, I've done it, I've experimented, I'm okay? Uh, for me, it's more um, a, a part of how I do things. And it, I mean, depending on the story, I don't have a I, didn't, I don't have a sense that, oh, I did this thing and now I'm done. But I do have a sense that Station Eleven was uniquely jacked kind of toward needing to do it. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Depends on the story. What's to come? Yeah, I agree. I, although I think I have a tendency to, after I have done something, I like to challenge myself to try to do it differently. Um, but that's not to say I won't be doing this again. That's great. Well. Thank you, Maggie, Patrick, thank you for being here. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. Thank you, guys. Uh, Thanks, thank you. You have been listening to the TV Campfire Podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland, and produced and edited by Sarah Light. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 11 in Austin, Texas, between June 2nd and 5th, 2022. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.